Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and I'm awfully glad to have Dr. Peter Kaftner joining me. He came in early today, although he's going to be with me in hour two when we discuss our Old Testament uh, characters. Today we're going to talk about Jehoiada, um, which I've worked on saying. I still can't pronounce that, yeah. so that's going to be on you for hour two to say yes. that each time we have to Might say it. call him Jerry. I, <laughs> I think that's super fair right easy. Now. Yeah, But this indeed. hour, our friend uh, Jay Warner Wallace is going to be joining us. And of course, you know Jim as a regular on the show. You can always go to coldcasechristianity.com to learn more about him. Um, his books and his blogs and his videos are all there. I highly, highly recommend you go going there. Jim is uh, uh, on the studio line right now. Jim, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me again. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, all I call, three of us. This is yeah. going back to Three Musketeers for you. From, <laughs> we're together so often. Yeah, I completely so skipped the long intro today. That's okay. That's yeah. good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that there's more time we can spend rambling uh, meaninglessly uh, yeah. together. I, right? I, I, <laughs> I appreciate it. So, Jim, I want to start today at, at talking about the role of personal testimony when you're proclaiming Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, you know, I've, I've kind of been cautious on on personal testimony um, in the sense that I, everyone's got one. Uh, if you ask people that I did this when I wrote a book called Forensic Faith, you know, you, you end up asking people, why are you a Christian? I used to always want to know that anyway. Um, it just kind of see, like, what what is it that compels people to decide Christianity is true? And and you might think there's all kinds of different answers to that, but they usually fall into kind of major categories that you see over and over again. And one of the categories is, you know, that I was raised this way, and this is all I've ever known. My parents were Christians, so so that's fine. And But you'll see a whole body of, of answers that are usually some form of, well, I had this experience that confirmed for me that Christianity was true. I, I prayed for something, and I received it. I was a drug addict, and I found Jesus, and it changed my life. Whatever it may be, it's some form of an experience that demonstrates for them that Christianity is true. And there's a certain uh, beauty in that, right, in the sense that it's it's less intimidating just to tell your own story than it is to try to, well, let me give you the facts of this or that to make some theological case. Um, but the, the problem I had with it is that I was raised around a bunch of people who were atheists, except my dad remarried uh, when I was a kid. And eventually he had a second marriage with the six kids that he had in that marriage, all of whom his wife raised LDS. And if you ask them why they're Mormons, they kind of give you the same answers. Um, they were raised that way. And number two, they had an experience that confirmed for them that Joseph Smith's a prophet of God and that the Book of Mormon is true. And if that's as far as it goes, it becomes really um, hard to to even counter that. I mean, we, we don't think that Mormonism is true on the basis of anyone's experience. And it could be a wonderful, amazing experience. The story could be very powerful. In the end, we would say, well, yeah, but did you, did you like, did you examine whether or not this is, you're going to want to push beyond experience, right? And that's what I think a lot of us would say, if, if we're going to come at this and say, well, yeah, our experiences told us this was true. Everyone's got an experience. I'm not to suggest that experiences aren't important. I think they're super important, and they also open the door for conversations that are important. 
But untested experiences don't lead you in the right, in the same place, in the right place all the time. An untested experience can be really dangerous. And so if we're unwilling to test our experiences, like why, why did that happen uh, based on what could this – you know, you cannot make an evidential case for Mormonism. I mean I hate to tell that for people who are listening who haven't understood the difference. And I think we have a lot of listeners probably who think that Mormonism is like another denomination of Christianity because that's the way really since Mitt Romney started running for president, that's kind of been the way the church is angled. But the reality of it is is that it's not Christianity. And the stuff that's recorded in the Book of Mormon – that 1,000-year history from 600 B.C. to 400 A.D. didn't happen. And in the end, you may have had an experience, but you've got to ask yourself, did you test it? Did you, did you make sure that your experience is connected to reality? I know that sounds pretty harsh, but I, I think it's important if Christianity is true. It's the cure for what's killing all of us. And I don't want to give you the wrong cure. I don't want you to think that, that you know, uh, I don't know, uh, NyQuil can cure your cancer. It can't. If I know what does, I think you want it, You should hear it. Mm-hmm. And that's not an act of judgment or exclusion or of, of, of prejudice. That's an act of love. You would want people to have the correct cure if you think you had it. Jim, when you're talking about then the reliability of experience, people do have any number of experiences, some faith-related, some not faith-related. They, they might be some sort of experiences of attraction. It might be experiences of, of wanting a job. It might, any number of experiences there. You're not suggesting these aren't real experiences, but maybe what I'm hearing you say is how do we interpret the reliability of that experience as being something that is right and good and true? Well, yeah, it's about are we testing our experiences. You know, to trust the heart, well, you know what the heart is, is we know from Scripture that you ought not trust your heart on certain things. That is, is deceitful and, and wicked. And, and what we want out of life sometimes determines how we experience certain things. And certainly you would not leave your – if you had, a, um, if you, if you had a, a brother or a sister you were raised with in the church and you were, they, were, you were, they were saved Christians or they were people who professed Jesus as, as Lord. And then one day you learned that, yeah, you know, Mormon missionaries had visited their door and, they, and it simply asked them to read the Book of Mormon and then to pray about it. And they said, well, so I decided to read the Book of Mormon, and I prayed about it, and then I did have an experience that confirmed for me, an experience of the Holy Spirit that confirmed for me the Book of Mormon is true. Would you leave it there? Would you say, okay, well, that's great. I mean, trust your experience. Or would you say something about that they should test their experience? And this is true for us, too, as Christians, by the way. And I hear a lot of that. You know, people will say that they, you know, that they haven't really tested. They've just had an experience, and they haven't ever tested it. And by the way, why does that matter? Because they probably have kids. And if you've got kids, you're going to need to have more than just your untested experience because they haven't experienced that. And the world around them is telling them that, that what's true is what comports with the sciences or the evidence or whatever. You know, in other words, it's, it's, it's the, they're trying – they're at least making the case that they're testing it in some way, whether they are or not is another issue. But the point is we have to do more of it to kind of rethink what we use. We use that word faith. What do we really mean by that? And what are we asking our kids to do? Are you asking your kids to believe something for which there's no evidence, but just believe it anyway? Mm. And do we think that that is the truest form of evidence? Do we think that's biblical? And this is why I wrote the book Forensic Faith, because I just, I just don't see it in Scripture. Mm. So, Jim, when we're referring to the role of personal testimony when you're proclaiming Jesus, I do think it's helpful if somebody says, why are you a Christian? That's right. That you have a fairly succinct way of communicating that message of uh, your personal faith 
and you can do it in a couple of minutes. I, you know, when I tell my little story of being a 13-year-old, it's connected to death, and I always associate it with uh, wanting to have an assurance that when I die, I would go into the presence of the Lord. And I always connect it right away to Scripture. And I memorized First John 1, 9, and I, I said, if you know, if you confess your sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins, cleanses, cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And I was able to hear that truth, place my faith in God, believe in him, and give him the authority of my life. And I thought that was my first step of faith as a young kid. Yeah, but that's nice, Bill, but that's how this nonsense got started to begin with. <laughs> I mean, have you ever seen The Invention of Lying? What's the movie The Invention of Lying? Have you ever seen that movie? Yes, I have, yeah. Okay, so what starts it all? No one's ever lied in this, in this universe, right? And so no one's ever lied. And the first lie is told when when Grandma is dying. I think it's the grandma, maybe it's the mom. And, and she's afraid. And so the son invents the story of an afterlife. And then from that point realizes, I can tell an untruth. And the whole movie is based on, you know, he's invented lying. <laughs> Nobody's ever lied before. And well, how far can you get with lying? Of course, it's, a, it's written by people who are anti-God. Right. And, and so, and that's what their whole point is. They think that the entire thing is, yeah, well, you have this, human, look, just man up. When you die, you die. If you if you can't get over that, I'm surprised you can even survive. You can even breathe. <laughs> That's going to be. This is now you're you're hearing now what you're hearing is you're hearing the Jim Wallace, who was who I was before I was a Christian. This is exactly what I would have said at 34, and I knew Christians, and I would say that's just a weak. That's your crutch. Mm-hmm. Now a reason why I bring it up here is because don't think our young people are not hearing that from their peers. Don't think our young people are not seeing the same movies that I'm watching. They've probably seen the invention of lying. That dude got asked to host the Oscars how many years? I mean, this guy, he became famous from that, that movie and a couple more. So, so I think in the end, we have to be prepared to say, okay, yes, I had this experience and I had this desire. Now, what I did is I made sure that this view I hold is actually evidentially true. And if you ask me, why am I a Christian? Not because it works for me. Not because I was raised this way. I'm a Christian because it's true, even mm-hmm. though some days it stinks, mm-hmm. but it's true. Yeah. Now, how do I know it's true? That's another conversation. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is another conversation. It is. Yeah, and I think we'll continue that conversation next <laughs> uh, as we continue with Jay Warner Wallace. You can go to coldcasechristianity.com, and we'll be right back. Also, my friend Dr. Peter Kapsner is with me as well. Of course, Jim's latest book is Person of Interest, Why Jesus Still Matters in a World that Rejects the Bible. Also, Cold Case Christianity, a homicide detective investigates the claims of the Gospels and many others. God's Crime Scene, God's Crime Scene for Kids, Forensic Faith, Forensic Faith for Kids, and Alive, a Cold Case Approach to the Resurrection, to name a few. Also, his his other book that he wrote with uh, Sean McDowell, is so the next generation will know, training your young Christians in a confusing world. So, uh, Jim, I think we started off talking about just your personal testimony as it, as it you know, applies to faith. And 
I feel like you took me to school a little bit, which... <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel, now you have me feeling bad. No, no, that's <laughs> I said to Peter at the break. It's like the bottom right. of the ninth, I'm down 11 innings right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is that I know that that's not... I mean, I know that you're equipped and, and just oh, right. all the time we spend right. together to, do, to, do, to take it to the next level. Oh, of course. And, and I guess my fear is that we, we set people up it, and and I think we are in a culture right now where there's it's very noisy. It's a very noisy culture, and the more options you have, the less certainty you have, right? I mean, when you only had three sources for uh, information, ABC, NBC, and CBS, whether you liked them or not, you probably settled on one of those three and distrusted the other two. And, and you may not have thought it was great, but you had more confidence. Now with, with, with 100 possible sources, I don't think I'm, I know who to believe. I mean, and I think what we've done is we've got claims being made as though they're news when, in fact, they are inferences from news, opinions on the part of the source. So it's getting to the point where I think we have more and more distrust, right, because we have so many options. And in that kind of a noisy world, um, people are either more inclined to think all of it's just a matter of opinion, and this is why I think we're moving toward that view of truth, where it's like, okay, CNN's got its view, Fox has got its view, MSNBC's got it got its view, uh, Newsmax has got a view. These are all just the the opinions of there's there's that's your source, that's your truth, that's their truth. But there's we're losing sight of the fact is there a truth that all of these folks are starting with that then they're spinning in one way or the other, and I think most of us are, are frustrated that it's harder and harder. To, can I give a shameless plug to something I'm not even associated with? I, sure. I started subscribing to the 1440 Project, which is just a uh, – it's a it's a news source that tries – because 1440 was the year that Gutenberg Press it, it delivers email, and it, it tries to be relatively neutral. Now, it's, I think it succeeds most of the time uh, in doing that because I'm frustrated that I can't seem to get anything without the spin. And I think because that's the case, I don't, I don't know. I mean – I think we do all trust experiences. We all want to hear each other's experiences, but but it's just too easy. I think now more than ever before to say, well, that's fine. That's work for, works for you. That's your that's your experience. Great. My experience is different than yours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have to be able to take it another step. Like you know, when I I, I tell people all the time, I don't trust eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses are often wrong, or they're trying to deceive you. And I don't, I don't suggest that because we have eyewitnesses to the Gospels, you should trust them. Like any other eyewitness, you need to test them first. I say this all the time. I don't trust eyewitnesses. I test eyewitnesses. Now, if they pass the test, I don't have a reason to distrust them. And so that's the approach I take, is I test eyewitnesses. I even test my own eyewitness observations. And that's why when it comes to things like experiences, the same way you wouldn't – I hope you wouldn't just swallow whole without testing the experiences of somebody else, the experiences of your Mormon neighbor. And the same way, I would hope you would test your own experiences so that when your kids ask, well, that's fine, Pop, but that's, that's your view. It's not my view. I'm saying, well, no, look, I hold this view, but it's not my view. Okay, it's objectively true. It's grounded in the object under consideration. It's not grounded in me as the subject. And uh, you may not agree with me, but I'm, I'm stuck with this. I don't like it sometimes either. But it is true. So here I am. I'd rather be in the, you know, the inconvenient truth than the convenient lie. And if it's not a high value, which, by the way, if this isn't the case, if you don't have a love for truth that, that is higher than than you know your desire to be comfortable. Then what do you do with the statements of Jesus? You and I have always talked about you know those statements that you know. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely accuse you of all kinds of evil because of me. So they are going to do that. That's not an if. That's a when. 
Why would you stay there? Why would you want to be persecuted and insulted? We could, you could simply just change your view, your view and match the culture, and no one will criticize you. You could you could you know disagree with people. Well, because you think that the truth, even if it's inconvenient, is more important than the lie. And and so I just wanted to know what was true, evidentially. Jim, I know you rattled a couple of people when you said you don't trust eyewitnesses. As a detective, I would love to hear a little bit more about that when you said you test eyewitnesses, because I have heard people make observations from things they believed they saw, which turned out not to be the case. Hmm. Right. And this is why people say, well, you think you trust eyewitnesses. Eyewitness testimony is, even if the Gospels are eyewitness against, eyewitness testimony is, 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 they'll say, patently untrustworthy. No, that's not true. I mean, it has to be tested. And the test we offer is a, a, a 13 or 14 questions that we ask in California anyway that judges uh, read to jurors, and they say, hey, these are the kinds of things you can consider uh, when you are um, evaluating eyewitnesses on the stand. And they offer like 13 or 14 questions. Well, those actually kind of be, can be distilled into four large categories. Number one, you know, were they really there to see what they said they saw? Number two, uh, can they be corroborated in some way? Number three, uh, have they changed their story over time? Or have they been honest and accurate uh, consistently? Or, and number four, do they possess a bias, a motive that would cause them to lie? Because you need to consider that because they might be lying because it benefits them in some way. Well, that's the template. And so the question then becomes, well, how do we, you know, I, I use that template in criminal trials. I use that template even before I get to the trial to make sure that the defense is not going to pick my guy apart. Um, and the same thing is true with the Gospels. You could test them this way. By the way, if you took that same four-part test and applied it to the Book of Mormon, you'd be out pretty quickly. Wow. Hmm. So it turns out that that test not only guides you into truth, it protects you from error. So, Jim, with, with these kinds of criteria, as you're looking at different kinds of conversations you might have with somebody, how do you distinguish between those conversations where you do want to point out the things that are objectively true versus the things that are preference or opinion and say, hey, you know, that seems to work for you, and, and it's not necessarily important whether we agree on that? Where is the, the true statements that we have to agree on? Oh, you mean like in terms of like like Christian orthodoxy? Yeah, anything along those lines. Or I think it's pretty common, right? To your point, people have a lot of different sources now they can go to to sort of just agree with whatever they believe about anything. It can right. be about faith. It can be about family. It can be about sexuality. It can be about anything. So how do you distinguish when it is just genuinely a difference of opinion between people, not anchored in some truth or something else that's like, we do have to agree that this isn't a matter that's up for debate? Okay, so so for me, the first decision was, well, do I trust what the Scriptures are telling me about the resurrection? Because the resurrection is the one piece of evidence, the one event that has to be true in order for Christianity to be true. And 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 Paul talks about this, that the Christian, if the resurrection is not true, not only do you have no hope of your own resurrection, but you've also been lied to, because the singular uh, piece of data that all of the disciples used from the very first days was that Jesus rose from the grave. It's the resurrection. If the resurrection is not true, we have been false witnesses, is what Paul calls it in First uh, Corinthians 15. So the question then becomes, uh, once you determine that that actually occurred, if you trust what the Gospels say, they become authoritative. In other words, if Jesus really did rise out of the grave, he's in a slightly different category. You know, I, have a, I always say I have a tendency to trust people who rise from the grave, because they're not just regular folks, right? Those are, those are people who have different authority. So then the question becomes, okay, so, so what does Jesus say? What does the New Testament say about uh, position X? And, and that's where you'll find that there are some things that are really clear. And then there are some things where a case could be made uh, from Scripture that seems to be, in, in other words, it's not clear. And I think that God intends for the things that are clear in Scripture to be clear. 
and for the things that are not clear in the Scripture to be secondary. Uh, otherwise, he would have made them much clearer. Uh, they would have been, you know, so you, you, for example, like, what is the relationship between God's sovereignty and our free agency? Oh, my gosh. Well, we, how many 2,000 years we've been debating this? And and it, there, I've seen people on the libertarian side or on the, you know, uh, Arminian side who will say, okay, this is my case from Scripture. And then I see the other side make their case from Scripture. And then the question is, well, what do you do with this when it seems like, oh, I'll give you another one of these. How about uh, end times? Like, how do, there's all kinds of people who are divided over end times. Uh, or how about this? Uh, I even have friends who are um, conditionalists in the sense that they are annihilationists. They believe that souls, rather than um, live a, an eternal conscious torment in hell, are simply destroyed at the second judgment. And they make their case biblically. And so you have – so there's like there's lots of questions like this where, you know, like, some things are really plain and really clear. And some things are like, wow, I can interpret it one of two ways. And so what I try to do, like what's always been done, is, is hold it be charitable toward those people who hold a view. I don't want that. I don't want to do anything to make, cause them to stumble. But at the same time, I just hold that with an open hand. I hold my view with an open hand. And typically, those are the views where I see that there's a case to be made on one side and the other on certain issues in Scripture. But I'm not going to say, well, look, here's the case from Scripture, and your case is that I don't like it. Well, that's not a case. <laughs> that's just you don't like it. But if I say, well, yeah, I, I get you, but here's the, what I see in Scripture. Well, now we've got a debate based on how to read the Scripture and how, what this means and what the outcomes of those meanings are. And so that's, I think, a fair conversation to have. And I'm pretty, I try to be pretty charitable in that. A lot of what I use, for example, to, 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 to kind of trace the early history of the church, well, that's going to come through a lot of church fathers. Most of them are the anti-Nicene, that the, they preceded the Nicene Council, the Council of Nicaea. And so these are the earliest church fathers. Well, you know, a lot of those folks held views about either baptism or they, they, they were in conflict with each other on some of the outcomes. So I think that's okay. Uh, if they don't agree. I don't agree with all the theology of the, er, the church fathers. But when I'm asking a witness, what happened? Okay, so what did you see him do? Uh, he walked over and he, he threw the, 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 the jacket to the ground. Uh, next question. Uh, well, why do you think he did that? That's a question that's out of bounds. Uh, you, you can't read his mind. Yeah. You can report mm. what he did, but you cannot report what it means. Because mm. you have no access to that private information. It is. Yeah. So, so I can actually trust that witness for what he's reporting happened, but I don't even bother to ask what he thinks it means. Mm. So good. Really good. Jay Warner Wallace is our guest. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are always happy to talk to Jim. We're going to take a little uh, step aside as we continue our discussion on just how important is personal testimony when it comes to sharing our faith. And I think for many of us, we always think it's important to share our story, uh, but we have to make sure that we let everyone know we follow Christ because it is the truth. So we'll be right back. Show with Bill Arno, drive time, drive time, the 
So glad to have Jay Warner Wallace as my guest, and so glad that he agrees to regularly come on the show because I learn so much when he comes on. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are here together. We are uh, enjoying our time with Jim. And a question came in, Jim, uh, and I found this uh, interesting, intriguing question. I don't know a lot about this, but can you share the 25 words of the gospel presentation? Can you share it in under 25 words? And I did look it up during the break, and there was a, a moody radio host that... Uh, came up with this. The wrong things we do separate us from God. Jesus Christ died, paying our penalty, and rose again, proving he is God. Trust in him. Okay, so that's not bad. I mean, I, I think that's not a, if, you ha- if I'm forced, like, a, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm launching a satellite, it's going to go across the galaxy, I've got limited space, so I've got to figure out something to say. I suppose. But here's what I would say about that. You know, if you think about um, the Apostles' Creed, one of the earliest creeds in Christendom, it's the shortest creed in Christendom. And it was pretty quickly realized that you could be heretical and hold to that creed. As a matter of fact, Mormons could recite the Apostles' Creed. Nicene Creed? No, actually they can't, because now you're starting to distinguish the ideas related to the triune nature of God and the deity of Christ, and things are more specific. More words were required, though, for the second creed than in the first. And my fear always is if we're going to, like, why would we limit ourselves to a 25-word presentation? Because it's just ripe. It just invites people to misunderstand and hold a heretical view and think they don't. Mm. So I always look at it, and this is why creeds just get longer and more you know, wordy and more verbose as they go through history, because there's a sense in which we experience, okay, we held that creed for a while, and we see all the heresy that emerged from holding that creed. We need to be a little more specific. Okay, let's make these changes. Let's make these additions. And I think that's fair. I think that's actually – look, if I love you enough – uh, my kids, I'm gonna, I love them enough to want to spend the first 18 years pouring into them. There will be thousands and thousands of words exchanged. And in the end of that, I still will feel like I didn't say enough. So I think in the end, if you love somebody enough, give them more than 25 years of words of the gospel. Yeah, even looking over the Apostles' Creed and then the Nicene Creed, I'm on a website right now, Jim, which goes mm-hmm. through both of them. It is substantially longer than the Nicene Creed. And going back to something you said before the break was the idea that something might have happened, but how we interpret what happened, that even is often the basis for so many of these conversations, right? I mean, it's clear that that Jesus died and rose from the dead, but interpreting why that is significant and what was going on, there's a lot of interpretations about what was important about that, that fact that happened as we're trying to share the gospel. Well, also, I could ask the question, was that a physical resurrection or a spiritual resurrection? Can I hold to a spiritual resurrection and still be in the game? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Mm, Even the words that are used here have to be interpreted what I really mean. And that's why these things become more and more verbose, right? Because we're really talking about this, and we're talking about, you know, the substitutionary atonement. Okay, what do I mean by substitutionary? What do I mean by atonement? When I say the wrong things we do. Well, is is that, what, what do I even mean by that expression? The wrong, according to who? Wrong things according to who? <laughs> you know, so, so, I mean, when I'm talking to students, I try to say, look, if there's a God that is powerful enough to blank everything into existence from nothing, that is a God who has all power. And if he has all power, he has the power to eliminate moral imperfection. Therefore, a God like this is morally perfect because he has the power to eliminate moral imperfection. So let me ask you, have you ever had a morally perfect day? 
You might be a good person, but I don't worship a good God. I worship a morally perfect God. That's the problem, okay, is that in order to be in the presence of a morally perfect God, I am not qualified. I'd have to adopt the status of somebody who is. Hmm. And this is what Jesus does for us, is that he doesn't see me anymore. He sees his son. He sees Jesus. And this is not him uh, killing another, one human for another. This is him taking the penalty on himself. This is why the deity of Christ matters. Otherwise, he's just, it's cosmic child abuse, as you hear all the time online, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. But mm-hmm. it's not child abuse because he's not killing one of our brothers. He is, ki- he, he is taking the place that, of what, what we deserve, the punishment we deserve. But the question becomes, well, why do I deserve punishment for anything I do wrong anyway? Well, it's, it's not – okay, look at it this way. Look at it in terms of how do I put oil and water together? How do I put a morally imperfect, a desperately imperfect being in the presence of a morally perfect God? It's pretty, that's a pretty hot fire to stand in front of. And I think in the end, you need to have something you, – you can't be seen as you. And so I don't, you're never going to be practically perfect, but you could be positionally perfect. And that's what Jesus does for us. Jim, I talk to people that say, I don't feel equipped to share my faith because I don't know the Bible well enough. And then, of course, the response I think they often get is, tell your own story, share your uh, story, and that is going to be all God asks of you. And I think this has been an interesting discussion when it comes to the role of personal testimony, because what we have shared so far is uh, is going to probably f- make people feel a little bit insecure about, well, am I now doing what everybody else does, and does everybody else have essentially the same story? Okay, so I'm going to say some. I, now I'm going to say that things are just going to make everybody mad. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right. So let me let me think about this for a second. Um, I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Are the are the are the uh, Cardinals playing the the Cowboys, who are they playing in the playoffs? Is it the is it the Rams? Um, if you give me a second, I'll tell you. But I, I'm pretty sure that the, they're playing the Rams. Okay. Yeah, it looks like the Rams. Correct. Okay. Yep. So there's a bunch of people in your listening profile. You're well, not that you're in Minnesota. So so let's say the Vikings are out of it. I'm trying to find something that's similar. Okay. So who's closest to, to you Green guys Bay? still? Okay, Green. Oh yeah, but you guys hate Green Bay. Yeah, <laughs> we, we we hate them. But if they're the okay, number okay, one okay, in our division, we're pulling for them. Maybe, okay. So, so there's people right now in your listening uh, footprint. Who can make a case for why Green Bay is either going to win or lose? And they can make it robustly. They actually know who's on the injury report. Mm-hmm. They know who's got COVID this week because it reported yesterday. They're tracking this stuff, okay? And we talked about this, you and I talked about this before. So, 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 so please don't tell me that you don't think you can share your faith because you don't know the scripture well enough. You can share what you think is going to happen this weekend in the NFL. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but you don't think you can share your faith? So which is more important? Right. Right. So in the end, it's like I'm not like I'm not a scholar in the Bible. I'm just interested enough. I'm also interested in the NFL. Okay. So so I'm also interested in in all that stuff. But I mean, I want to be if I can make a case for one, I dang well better be able to make the case for the other. Right. And so that's where now let me say one more thing about about uh, our personal testimony. We're using that testimony word again. So you see that testimony in probably one book more than anything else in the New Testament, and that is in the book of Acts. But I want you to take a look at it. Uh, You tell me where in the book of Acts you have somebody who tells us as their explanation for why Christianity is true. They tell you how their life was changed, what crisis they faced, and how they are such a better person or whatever. No, the testimony in the New Testament is the testimony of eyewitnesses 
who are reporting that they saw the resurrection just as predicted in the Old Testament. They can make a case from the Old Testament, and then they add to that their eyewitness observations of the resurrection. This is Pentecost. This is, you know, this is over and over and over again. So testimony there is reserved like a legal term to test. This is why Jesus tells Thomas, hey, blessed are those who, who didn't see this, but who will believe, keep reading, on the basis of Thomas's eyewitness testimony. He selects the eyewitnesses, spends 30, uh, 30 days, 40 days rather, in the, in the Acts 1, uh, with these eyewitnesses, uh, giving them many convincing proofs, it says in the scriptures. And then it's the eyewitnesses who get to, to become the, uh, for example, when Judas is replaced, he's replaced with Matthias. Matthias is an eyewitness from the baptism to the resurrection. That's what Peter says was necessary in the upper room in Acts 1. So it turns out it's your eyewitness status to the resurrection and the life and ministry of Jesus that qualifies you. And we've taken that word and said, well, look, we're kind of too lazy to know all that. That's a lot of data i got to learn. So <laughs> can I just tell you my personal story? Now, look, I, I think it's important. I, again, when I say all this, the danger is that you're thinking, oh, this guy just hates personal testimony. That's not true. I just think you have to couple your personal testimony with Here's how I checked it. Here's how I fact-checked it. Here's how I made sure that it wasn't my imagination. Here's how I made sure it wasn't a coincidence. Here's how I, in other words, I tested it. And this is why I knew this is the power of Christ, because I recognized that I could test whether the resurrection occurred. And once I discovered it had, oh, I realized who Jesus was. So, Jim, and when we talk about these kind of testimonies, too, in terms of the experiences people have, what would you say to somebody in sort of this religious pluralism of our world today where people follow a lot of different faiths and they say, hey, my experience is, let's say that I decided to enter into Theravadian Buddhism or something, and I, I started meditating four or five or six or seven times a week, and I found that I had much less stress and much less anxiety, and it's really working for me. Why, why would you say to that person, you maybe shouldn't do something like that? Because I, I certainly get this among my students quite a bit. Jim, you're under no obligation to answer that question. I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> well, I think in the end, you've got to ask the question, does it matter if it's true? Because there's lots of things that work for people, and you would have to agree that every single uh, worldview, whether it's a theistic worldview or an atheistic worldview, there will be people in it who will say, this is working for me. So it's not as though it's something either qualified or disqualified based on the fact that it's working, because we can make things work. Uh, so the question then is, 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 does it matter if it's true? And, and how would you, you know? That, and that's really what comes. What value do we have in truth? And remember, the truth claims are either grounded in subjects who hold opinions, or they're grounded in the objects under consideration. That's the difference between objective claims and subjective claims. And the claim God exists is not a subjective claim. One way you can test a subjective claim is like I say, okay, the claim uh, I always use this same example: chocolate chip cookies are the best dessert. Okay, that's a subjective claim. It's my opinion. I, I as the subject, get to decide if that's true. But um, I have a Hyundai in the park in the in the in the uh, driveway. I cannot make that thing a Mercedes Benz by changing my mind. It's not based in the subject's opinion. It's based in the object called a car that's sitting in my driveway. If that's a Hyundai, it's a Hyundai. So the reality of it is, is that we have to figure out, okay, so, so what, what, how, how do we distinguish between these kinds of, of, of claims? If, 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 God, if Christianity is true, is an objective claim. By the way, objective claims can be false. So I could say that that Hyundai in the driveway will take me to the moon. Well, my opinion cannot make it go to the moon. It cannot keep it from going to the moon. It's not a matter of a subjective claim. That's an objective claim about the Hyundai, but it's an objectively false claim. 
As a matter of fact, once you discover that a claim is objective, all that's left to do is determine if it's true or false. So the claim God exists is not based on my opinion. It's based on the object known as God. He may exist or he may not exist. It could be an objectively false claim. And by the way, no one spends a lot of time arguing about stupid opinions. I mean, really think about it. Okay, what's the best dessert? How much time are you going to spend arguing about that? But (laughs) does God exist? Objective claims are the things that are worthy of our debate. They're the kinds of things we ought to be debating. So once you discover a claim is objective, you ought to talk about it. And two, you ought to discover if it's true or false. So what we're saying is here is that, hey, this works for me. Well, all kinds of things that aren't true can work for you if you have a certain kind of life and a certain kind of persistence. But would you like to know if it's true or not? That's, and there's, there's, by the way, there's going to be some true things that aren't going to feel like they're working for you, okay? Mm-hmm. So this is a difference. Uh, we have to make it clear to, to our to, – to, uh, I'm not just a utilitarian where I think, hey – you know, it doesn't make anything true. I, I can say uh, I can. Uh, there are lies that work. You know, am I losing my hair? My wife's always going to say no. It works. <laughs> okay, but it works. So utilitarianism does not always point you to the truth. The fact that something works does not make it true. Hmm. So you know, the same thing like when your wife asks you, "Do I look fat in this dress?" Well, what are you going to say? You know. And this is this is why it's so important for us to distinguish those things. What's useful and what works based and is different than what is true. All right, we're going to take uh, we'll step aside just for a minute. Jay Warner Wallace is our guest. His book, his most recent book, is "Person of Interest: Why Jesus Still Matters in a World That Rejects the Bible." It's got a what six hundred illustrations, Jim, in this book. About about four. Now I'm feeling guilty. I should have added two hundred more. It's about about four hundred illustrations. Okay, now I can't recommend people getting. Exactly. <laughs> 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 All right, we'll continue our discussion about personal testimony and our faith with uh, Jim Wallace. That's all coming up next. Jay Warner Wallace, and we have stirred up the hornet's nest. <laughs> <laughs> we have this personal testimony. It's it's definitely yeah, it's lighting it up, Jim. It really is. Uh, well, I'm, I feel bad, but again, no, I'm don't. not opposed to personal testimony. I just think that all of us need to accompany that testimony. You know, like even Paul would talk about his journey on Damascus, but he accompanies it with the evidence for the resurrection. And that's something that we, and in fact, the fact that he observed the resurrected Christ is part of his testimony. So that's that's the kind of thing that we need to be able to to incorporate. And by the way, each of us could still make a case for the resurrection, even though we did not see it personally. But, but the question would be, why would I, why should I believe in a resurrected Christ? If, I think about that. Most people are so um, opposed to supernatural explanations anyway that that's going to be the first question people are going to ask: Why should I believe in a resurrection? And that's why there are so many alternative uh, stories about Jesus, right? That it's a lie, that they hallucinated it, that there was an imposter involved. That all these other alternative explanations are there because um, people don't accept the supernatural explanation we're offering. 
So we got to be able to make a case for that. Yeah, because we're under no conditions discounting the power of a personal testimony today. No, I actually think it's a very useful tool to start conversations because it is so winsome and it is something that, but let's be honest. Uh, have you noticed that when people um, are preaching from the pulpit and they're trying to walk, work, work through their sermon, and then they get to a place in the sermon where there's a, um, an illustration from their own personal life, that they'll step away from the pulpit and become much more animated and relaxed? Have you ever seen that? I have. I yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, why is that happening? Because there's no work in recalling your recollection. But if I have to work through a case, a theological case in a sermon, that takes effort and concentration. When I'm just telling my personal story, I can actually walk away from my notes. Like, I don't even need to research that. I don't need to study to tell you my, my little anecdotal story. And that's where I think we, 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 we this does not be lazy. Um, because what happens a lot of it is because it's so, it is so much easier just to, 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 to tell stories than it is to um, make a case for something. Jim, what about when you're dealing with people that don't care that Christianity is true or not, but only that it's bad? Well, and that's that's why I wrote Person of Interest, right? Because I I really do think that that that's the biggest thing. Is I realized as I was working through the evidence of history, that fuse that leads up to Jesus and the fallout that follows Jesus. I realized, man, this guy's impact, the impact of Jesus on culture, is magnificent. It's it's hard to describe it any other way. And that's when I wrote to the publisher and said, I'm changing the byline of this book, and I'm going to go back and rewrite the first five chapters. This is not just a book about like you know why is Christianity true. It's a book about why is Jesus beautiful in a place, in a world right now where most people think that, yeah, nothing good can be attributed to. Like, how many times in the last week have you seen an image or heard someone talk about the Christian branding that they saw in the banners on January 6th? Mm. Like, this is, they'll say, oh, yeah, it's, it's all you fundamental Christian nationalists. There's nothing good that comes out of Christianity. I'm hearing this more and more. You know, it used to be, I don't like you Christians, but Christianity is okay. I like Jesus. I, 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 the tide is turning here. We're going to have to be able to explain to people that all the stuff that you think matters as an atheist that you find beautiful is standing on the shoulders of Jesus and his, and his followers. And, and so, that, so I, I get it. I, you don't think that, you don't care if it's true, you just care that it's bad. Well, how about this? It, it's been the greatest force for good that hit the world has ever known. Um, does that matter? If you're saying that all that matters is that it's bad, you're having to be, what if you're mistaken about it being bad? What if, what if in fact, it's just the opposite? Would that, would that help you reconsider whether or not it's true? So I think we at least need to be able to have that conversation, right? Especially in a culture where uh, nobody is teaching this to young people. It's not like you're going to go and get this in public school. You're going to have to make an effort to pass this on to your kids personally. Right, and I think in a COVID world, I'm not. I am seeing that people are kind of re, uh, retrieving their responsibilities and teaching certain principles to their kids because they know now that, that maybe they weren't paying attention before. They certainly know now that you're not being taught any of this in public school. Yeah, and we've been talking a lot about testimony in terms of conversion, Jim. But you're talking about the kind of testimony that is the the lived experience post conversion as a disciple, and and what we're witnessing to. There is some personal experience in that, right? In terms of how we actually are in the world and how we experience one another. Yes, but let me just offer this again. I use Mormonism as a point of reference because I have so many Mormons in my family. And when I first became interested in Christianity, they they sent missionaries to my door. So I read through the Book of Mormon, uh, Gospel, I mean, uh, 
covenants and and uh, pearl of great, great price uh, the the quad basically of Mormonism, doctrine and covenants, pearl of great price, book of Mormon, and the Old and New Testament. Well, I read through the book of Mormon doctrines and covenants and pearl of great price before I got through the Old Testament. So I was really interested to know if this thing that my brothers and sisters believe was true was true. And here's what I would say to you. Um, the conversion experiences and the life lived. You, if you think in your neighborhood that you will be outperformed, uh, that, that you're going to outperform a Mormon in your neighborhood, you're crazy. That most times when you move into a new neighborhood, the first people to bring you that care package are probably the Mormons in your neighborhood. Hmm. Hmm. By the way, if you think that your salvation is dependent upon your good works, you will always outperform your competitors. And this is what happens. I mean, what do you hear all the time about Mormons? Anyone who knows a Mormon is going to say what? Those are the nicest people I've ever met. They look at us and say, you have a cheap form of grace. You don't even believe you have to do anything. Like, you don't even believe you need to – they they take their their, um, public perception seriously. But you you at least got to say that for them. They, They perform better than we do. And if we're going to say, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's the changed life that demonstrates Christianity is true, well, then Mormonism is truer. Hmm. And there's the problem, is that, that yeah, you're right. If, 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 and I don't even think, honestly, if I, if I thought that there's always this, 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 this um, a, a reward attached to any of my behavior, I do this because I want the reward, am I really doing it? I think when you do it, when you realize that the ticket's already been punched— but I just know what's been done for me, and so I just want to respond because I can't believe that this gift has been given me. This is what, how, how grace works in the life of the, of the believer, that that's a different kind of good behavior. If I'm just doing this good thing because I know that my salvation is dependent on it, I think that's, you know, that's a different kind of, of, of view of what's good, and I don't think it's as good, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I've always thought, too, when you have like a friend who grew up in a Jewish home and you understand that they believe what they believe based on the home they grew up in, and I believe what I believe based mm-hmm. on the home I grew up in, I can understand how when we just have our personal testimonies, apart from God's Word, we're going we're gonna to leave people feeling a little, well, that's, that's nice for you, but it's not good for me. Right. Well, right. I mean, how many, I mean, to make a choice apart from your family life, this is what you're asking every Mormon believer. It's such an entrenched part of their identity and who they are with their family. They're, if they're living in Utah, it's part of their work life. It's part of their social life. It's part of their family life. You're not asking people to change their mind about God as much as you're asking them to leave their lives yeah. as they know them. That's a much bigger ask. And so I think in the end, you might, you might as well be in a Muslim country asking a Muslim to convert. Right. I mean, so I think a lot of this is we got to at least be be aware of it. And, and I, I, I not again. I always say this when I asked publicly about this, Jim, would you share your personal testimony? Let me tell you what I tell people publicly, like at universities. You know what? I get asked this question a lot, and I'm not going to share it with you because I don't think it matters, and I don't think your testimony matters either. <laughs> what matters is is it true? Mm-hmm. That's what matters. Now I know that's pretty, but I'm trying to shake people out of their complacency that all they can do is offer a story rather than offer any reason why this is true beyond their story because everyone's got a story. Mm-hmm. So good. Jim, talk a little bit about person of interest. What we try to do there is just to, to, to really show why Jesus still matters in a world that rejects the Bible. So we took a thought experiment. If you destroyed every Bible, you could actually recover the truth about Jesus just from the history of humanity. And that's a very powerful mm. truth, and it's hard to explain unless, of course, Jesus is who he said he was. Mm. And 
Jim, we only have just about a minute, maybe a minute and a half left here. So for the people listening, they're just thinking about maybe they have their own family members that are living their own truth. Is there just a simple way to start a conversation about the truth versus your own truth? Yeah, and I will just tell you, I typically would ask this question of people, especially where people are skeptical, and you have those in your own family. If if I demonstrate, if I could demonstrate evidentially for you that this is true, would you become a Christ follower? Well, I don't think you can demonstrate that it's true. No, this is a thought experiment. Imagine there is some criteria that even you would agree to that I could use to demonstrate that Christianity is true. Would you become a Christ follower? Would you submit to it? You would be surprised how many times people will pause. Or just flat out tell you no. Hmm. And that tells you that they don't like something about it. And that's not a matter of, well, is there enough evidence for this? This is an emotional or a volitional response to the claims. This is not an evidential response to the claims. And by the way, ask yourself, if God has not moved somebody, by the way, all we do is we just offer the information that's needed after God first unlocks the human heart. So it's not as though... If this hasn't happened yet, if God has not softened their heart to hearing this, you might find yourself beating your head against the wall and feeling like it's all your failure. It's not. Mm. It's that God moves first. And so it's a good way to ask a question to see if God is moving in their lives, if God is starting to give them pause about their certainty, about what they always thought was true about God not existing. So you can, it's a good way. I think it's a start that allows you to see is the real issue a matter of making a case, or is the real issue that you just don't want it to be true, or is the real issue that you've got a problem with Christians for some reason? Yeah. And that's important to know. Jim, mm. thank you for your time. Always great to talk to you. Yeah, yeah look good forward talking to, to you guys, yeah, too. Have a great day. Jay Warner have Wallace. Have in the next hour. Yeah, thanks. Jay Warner Wallace has been our guest. Go to coldcasechristianity.com. After uh, a little break, we're going to talk about Jehoiada next with Dr. Mark Muska. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.